This is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing that you can do for the show is to tell somebody else about it. Help spread the word and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. David Starobin retired from performing about four years ago, but he's still teaching guitar at the Curtis Institute in Philadelphia. It's a program he founded, and he's also teaching at the Manhattan School of Music. Oh, and he's running an art gallery, and he's busy producing new records for his own label, Bridge Records. And one of those new releases features music that he has recorded in celebration of Giulio Regandi. It's a 200th birthday bouquet, and that's what we're going to be hearing about this week on New classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. Well, let's just dive right in, David. Um, You have your fingers in a lot of pies, a performer. I don't know if you're still teaching. I think you may be. You're a producer. You're the executive producer of Bridge Records. How have you managed to integrate all of these hats into your life? Well, uh, gradually and with a a lack of sleep, shall I say. Uh, You know, in in many ways, what I do is the same thing. Uh, in, In record production, it's much the same job as teaching. You try to help the student find a path to musical truth. And in record production, you're doing the same thing with a performer. Uh, It's, of course, at a different level, but essentially it's the same job. The business part, uh, I have to say my wife, Becky, is is really the main cog in the wheel. She's the the person who uh, I count on for, for running the actual company operations. My end of it is more artistic. What made you even want to start a record company? Well, that goes back to the uh, late 70s, and uh, I was making records for a number of New York companies and had a project that I wanted to do, and I wanted to do it really badly. And uh, it involved contemporary music, and all of the people that I talked to said, "Mm, not really, Mm, it's not going to sell. Those were in the days when records sold a lot and and you you actually thought about uh the bottom line so i was frustrated and for a couple of years i banged my head against the wall i was recording things but not releasing them and finally becky said to me you should just do it you know you've you've been producing these these recordings in a studio and what does it take to make a company you know so bravely we put out our first lp uh, which was my long hoped for uh recording and uh and then it just kept going and and 42 years later we're still in business so wonderful you also co-founded the guitar program at the Curtis Institute of Music in 2011 are you still involved with that program very much so yeah that's i, I teach at two schools Manhattan School of Music and Curtis Institute And I love teaching. I love my students. It's something I hope never to stop doing. What have you enjoyed the most about working with your students? Um, It it actually is the same thing that I enjoy in in working with with artists of all levels uh, is I learn. 
I learn repertoire. I learn different approaches. I learn what the problems are in, in finding some sort of musical truth in what we're all doing. And uh, it, it all kind of melds into into what I do. I, actually, what I do now, I retired from playing uh, about four years ago. What I do now is uh, run an art gallery. And so it's it's just another thing, you know, it's... it's I saw uh, that in your bio <laughs> and I was like, is this right? I highlighted it. <laughs> is that right? Is he doing that too? Yeah, well, that's yeah. fun. Looking for all the uh, the options and opportunities. That's very cool. Your latest recording celebrates the 200th birth anniversary of Giulio Regandi. He is a hero of yours. Why is that? Well, uh, I think as a composer... He wrote the finest romantic guitar music that we have from the 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 prime romantic period, the the eighteen forties, fifties, sixties, when you had Mendelssohn, Schumann, and and you know just ama- amazing composers writing romantic music that we regard today as the great repertoire. So, in guitar. Regondi was little known. Uh, the the works are very virtuoso and and difficult to perform. And and uh, guitarists tended during my lifetime to try to play these pieces on large instruments, large Spanish instruments, which is the standard uh, classical instrument. I started to play these pieces on those instruments and immediately realized that the the instrument that Regondi played, a smaller instrument, a Viennese instrument, was the way to go. The smaller fingerboard allowed you to, to cope with his difficulties and, and the virtuosic demands that, that he asks for. And so a combination of the instrument, the quality of the music, and the fact that it was rarely performed. I, I gave the first performance of the 10 etudes, uh, which were rediscovered in the 80s and had not been performed in over a hundred years. So there was a need to do this music and I thought, why not? You know, it's, it's, I, I loved it. And I, I, I just loved it personally. I'm, a, I'm sort of a romantic and that, that's my period. You know, it's everyone's period. You know, who doesn't love Brahms? You know, it's, 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 uh, I, I don't know what to say about it. Everything about his music appealed to me. Then his life story, his life story is unbelievable. He was a, a child prodigy, had played before every court in Europe by the time he was nine years old, at which point he emigrated with his stepfather to England and had a very successful career in England. And then something really strange happened. He encountered a scientist, Charles Wheatstone, who had invented a little squeeze box, a concertina. And Rigondi was the first person to try this instrument out. He was 12 years old. It was 1833, we think. And uh, he picked it up and made music on it immediately. 
And for the rest of Brigandi's life, he alternated concerts with the guitar and the concertina, but he wrote most of his music for concertina. And that music, almost without exception, is unheard. It has not been performed. No one knows how to, to play this. There are good concertinists, some people who have struggled and some people who have succeeded in playing a few of these pieces. But the tradition of English concertina music disappeared. It, it's no longer on our radar. So someday, some kid will, will grow up and, and from an early age, learn that instrument, see the music, become a virtuoso, and then we will really know how great Giulio Regondi was. Until that day, we can only guess it's it's just out of our out of the range of our years. You have actually taken some of those concertina etudes and transcribed them for guitar. First of all, why did you do that? I met a, a guy named Doug Rogers in in the early '90s, who was the only person I know who who played both guitar and concertina and played Regondi's music. And he played a couple of the, the real virtuoso pieces that are unaccessible on guitar. They're way too difficult. But there's a method that Regondi wrote two concertina methods. He was a big teacher. During his short life, he he really was, was considered the great teacher. He was labeled the king of the concertina. So in the method, in the second method, the new method, he has a lot of concertina studies that, that were for students. And many of these transcribe literally note for note to the guitar, except the guitar sounds one octave lower than the concertina. But other than that, you can play a lot of them without much screwing around. So I, I thought, oh, let me play a few of these, see how they sound. And they sounded beautiful. And I thought, hmm. So I, I transcribed a bunch of them and recorded several. And uh, that's that was the reason. But there aren't there four new transcriptions that appear on your new recording? Yeah. Uh, I, there, there are four transcriptions that I made from that, the little etudes in the second method. And uh, I felt that they worked. They, they were good music on the guitar. And one other thing, Regondi really did not publish much music. There were only five guitar pieces published during his lifetime. So they're being discovered now. Uh, gradually, during the last 10 years, there have been four or five more big pieces. But there's a real lack of, of, of repertoire, especially for my students who could play intermediate Regondi. And so this really fills a gap in the guitar repertoire as far as learning romantic style and the necessary contrapuntal voicing that, that his music requires.
Can you describe his style? Listening to the other piece that is new on this recording, and you're going to have to help me with, I think it's in French, Fête Villejoie. Fête Villejoie. <laughs> That one is a new recording for me, and also the uh, Air Varier, number one, is also uh, one that I just never issued. I, I should, you know, qualify that. I retired from playing four years ago, so these are these are slightly older recordings that I made, and I just never had the opportunity to edit and and get out. I'm, I'm busy editing other people's, you know, for orchestras and chamber ensembles and pianists. And, and in the last number of years, we've gotten out about 600 recordings. Some of them are mine, but most of them are not. And so I didn't have all that much time to, to um, deal with my own playing until I stopped playing, if that makes sense. Absolutely. That's really an interesting way to approach that. Can you talk a little bit, like, when I was listening to that Fête Villageois, for example, there's kind of a delicacy in his style. You know, like, uh, the notes are just, um, I don't know, they, it's beautiful melody, but then the way in which it's played and presented just has a lovely sense of delicacy to it. I don't know if that's the right way to describe it, but that's what I'm hearing. I love that description as as a player. Uh, to me, one of the main reasons that I fell in love with this man's music was a certain intimacy that he achieves in expression. Uh, sometimes it's the harmony, but a lot of times it's what we we call you know performer input. There's repetition that you know on an instrument like guitar really signifies the composer's asking for the performer to vary what what's on the printed page so coloristically i might make a, a right hand color shift if there's a repeated phrase Things like that that are that are pretty standard in in guitar playing, but in Regondi's music, uh, he backs all of this repetition up, because every every composer in that period was was cognizant of of repetition. You listen to Beethoven, and you hear tons of repetition. So what Regondi does is he gives enough harmonic variety in in the music so that it colors what he's writing in a very different way for guitar than, than other composers of the period. And I love that. I love his harmonic sense. And the music is just, it benefits from an, an intimate approach. The instrument itself, the guitar, is, is a very intimate instrument. We hear it now mostly through speakers, and people probably listen to it way too loud <laughs> in terms of the reality of what the instrument can produce. But uh, maybe that's also to, to, its, to the instrument's advantage, that people can amplify uh, all of the things that, that a performer is doing. And Rigondi, for me anyway, was a way of, of indulging myself, because I think, you know, in, in this period, 
the the mostly it was performer composers. They were they were playing their own music. Bregondi's best friend was was the great pianist Talberg. He knew the Schumanns and and in fact was invited by the Schumanns to come to Germany and perform a couple of times. And he he was he was a real romantic and we just don't have very much repertoire from that period, from that great romantic period uh, for for the guitar at a high level, compositionally. And he did that, and and that it disappeared is one of the great tragedies, in my my opinion, for the guitar, but it's also one of the great new things that, that the instrument can go forward with. Now, I don't think you said, why did it disappear? Why did his music disappear for so long? Uh, a complex question. I can give some some simple answers to it. I think that the guitar in the 20th century was very dominated by one man, and that's Andres Segovia. And uh, any one man, and I mean any one man, has their own personal taste and will go in that direction. His personal taste turned out to be incredibly influential, I think too influential for the good of the instrument. He actually had a copy of the, the Ten Etudes, which he, I would say, suppressed. He did not publish them, uh, and he did publish a lot of other music, including 19th century music. This music, um, I don't know why. I, I, Are you saying, I, though, that he had the only copy of these 10 etudes? Is, did he have the only, like, the original copy and he chose not to publish them? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying that that there are, as we know now, at least uh, three manuscripts of those, none of them the composers. They were copies that were made, uh, and they're very similar to each other, so we know they're fairly accurate, but they were copies that other guitarists made. And one of them, the one that was ultimately published in 1989, I believe, was in Russia and held by a collector in Russia. And the other copies, there was one in England, and it was hidden away in a library, and it was only of eight of the ten etudes. So it was not complete. It was probably an earlier version. And I don't know where the third one was. I just don't have that information. But Segovia did have one. And it may be that Segovia's ended up in Russia, but I don't think so. I was told by the guy who who really published all of Segovia's collection uh, after his death that he had the 10 etudes. Now, I don't know if he actually physically still had them or if he had them in the past. I'm, I'm unclear about that. But he did not publish them, and he had them for many, many, many years. And that was, I, I you know, I said in an interview recently that, that uh, you can't blame people for what they don't do sometimes. You know, he accomplished so much for the guitar Segovia I'm speaking of. He was, he was our, our great hero in terms of, of the popularization of the instrument. And so my jobs throughout my life are partially and maybe mainly due to Andres Segovia. And all guitarists have that inheritance from, from his great career. But, you know, there, there are other parts of his taste and his, um, on record, um, 
saying that that there's certain music that that didn't deserve to be published or heard or played and and in this case uh though he did not say it about Rigondi uh, he never mentioned Rigondi's that I know of uh it is a huge error just maybe he just I, forgot I, he had it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, but boy, what what a thing to forget. <laughs> yeah. Ray Gandhi performed with Clara and Robert Schumann, as you mentioned. Twice they invited him to do concert tours with them in Germany. And he also appeared with Mendelssohn and dozens of other luminaries of the period. I'm curious, how did their names become kind of standard in the repertoire and his so much less known? Do you have any theories about that? Yeah, I, I do, actually. There was a really interesting obituary for Rigondi. And they said, I'm just paraphrasing, but essentially it said, all he has done has died with him. The problem was that nobody could play his concertina music, much of which was published. Because that was, in England, the concertina was an incredibly popular instrument. There, there were 200,000 instruments sold in Victorian England, manufactured by the Wheatstone Company. It was a, an instrument that women played. It was regarded as one of the instruments that it was appropriate for women to play. Uh, and, you know, like there were certain instruments that women should not play. You, you were not supposed to hold a cello between your legs. That was considered just a, a no-no. And so the concertina was thought to be one of those elegant parlor instruments. So Regondi capitalized on that. He went into business with the, the Wheatstone Company, and he actually approved each of the concertinas that that was manufactured. He'd play it, try it out. They'd enter the, the number of the instrument in the book. Giulio would sign off on it. And he was a great teacher. For, for decades after his death, people always said, ah, student of Giulio Regondi. So uh, it's, a, it's a long way of getting to the point that the music could not be played, though it was published. The guitar music... Only five pieces were published, and there were a couple of players who played them in the early 20th century, actually. And uh, so why did it disappear? Uh, with, with all of those other names who you mentioned, there was a great tradition of piano playing, of violin playing, of symphonic playing, and all of the scores of those composers, the great romantic composers, never had a dark age. They kept going. But you look at someone like Bach, and he had his dark age. That People did not have access to most of the scores. And it wasn't until really the, the early 19th century that people began to understand what a great composer Bach was. So this happens sometimes. It's it's fate, it's geography, it's lack of, of players, lack of publication, a whole combination of, of circumstances. Yeah, it's interesting because I think about Schumann also being a music critic, and he helped to make or break careers too. So I would think he must have written something about Rigondi. Wow, that would be lovely to, to know. The only person... Uh, 
Pauline Viardot, the great mezzo, you know, one of the, the chief figures in opera in, in the mid-19th century, has a, a rather large excerpt in one of her books about Rigondi and, and talks about his personality. That's from the, the sort of mainstream composers. That's the only reference I know uh, from from sort of the musical mainstream. We you can read a ton of stuff in in journals of the period, praising his his playing and his performance style. They compared him to the great singers, especially his concertina playing, and he was clearly an incredibly accomplished musician and a sensitive, sensitive personality who was able to, to put that sensitivity into the pieces, much the way Chopin was able to, to kind of channel uh, an inner sensitivity in, into uh, music. <laughs> descriptions of of him physically being so involved in his music that uh, for instance in the concertina performances he would at stand on tippy toes holding the instrument high above his head during particularly quiet climactic passages and th there's a guy who who speaks of him cradling this jewel box of an instrument and emitting the most magical sounds from it you know he he was on stage from the time he was six or seven years old and never stopped. He was he was always a performer. And I think that that the kind of, of intimacy we see in the compositions, especially the etudes for guitar, are the work of someone who had a kind of unreal involvement with music. You know, there's this sense sometimes where you go past reality. For me, that, that happens in Chopin all the time, you know, where there's, there's a magic that cannot be accomplished in, in any way other than hearing someone playing these pieces at a deep level. And I think his personality, from what I can tell, was he talked about one of his favorite composers being Schubert. And I, I hear the same thing in, in the great Schubert. You know, it's, there's, there's an innocence, there's, a, there's also a, a knowing quality that goes with the innocence and just a, a kind of lyric voice that is exceptional. And Regondi is a performer. I can't imagine that he didn't play on all of those qualities uh, that he had as a composer. Uh, he had to. You've talked a lot about some of the singers that he knew and had uh, working relationships with. And then Regondi was known for a very fluid performance style, and a lot of people compare that to the great singers of his time. Can you talk about that singing style and where we might hear that on this recording and what pieces? I think uh, 
the best piece compositionally on on that record is his second etude. It traverses all sorts of keys. It, it starts in A minor, it works its way through a series of keys and ends up in C-sharp major and just, you know, crazy keys that no guitarist would write in in this period. And uh, to me, that, that piece, which is essentially a slow piece, but which has such extreme harmonic variety, it offers the most opportunity to sing lyrically uh, on, on the pieces on the record. There are other places. I think the, the, um, the Reverie Nocturne, probably his most famous uh, piece. That piece, uh, which is a tremolo piece, guitarists you know, use this right-hand technique called tremolo, the repeated note uh, figuration technique. And that piece was so popular that near the end of Rigondi's life, it, it had transcriptions by other people for other instruments, for piano. And uh, it, it's a beautiful lyric piece, and I think that also is near the top. As you were transcribing four of the etudes from one of Fregandi's concertina methods, what was most challenging for you in creating those arrangements to make them playable for the guitar? Yeah, so the difference in the guitar and the concertina is that that with the guitar you pluck and then the sound dies. You know, it's you have the bass strings last a little bit longer, but essentially it's you you pluck and then the sound is gone. So connecting notes on the guitar and creating a legato is is the primary challenge in playing any music. And uh, with the concertina, you have these bellows that that allow you to really sustain the notes and and do stuff with them. Like so, if you want to have a, a little vibrato, you can do it with the fingers or with the bellows. And if you want a note to make a crescendo, you move the bellows faster, and the note grows much as it can with the wind instruments or or bowed string instruments. So there was this challenge to find a way to sustain. And with guitar, you do that through fingering. And, and uh, so in a few passages, I needed to find fingerings that gave us the ability to create the kind of legato. And I did my best with that. I, I, I know that uh, had we been able to hear these pieces on concertina, that the legato would be better than this old guitarist was able to do. But the pieces really do work, and I think they're very beautiful. David, you have said that you are a better guitarist and teacher for having the music of Ray Gandhi available. Why is that? Technically, 
he forced me to explore earlier instruments that are very different from from modern Spanish instruments. Now I had I had experimented with them with the music of Giuliani, Sor, and other other early 19th century composers, but it wasn't until I was introduced to the Regondi etudes that the scale of the instrument, the smaller scale, the smaller neck, by scale I mean string length, uh, th these instruments were smaller so that the left hand did not have to stretch as much. And it enabled me to create legato. And I, I just, his music also lined up with my basic personality, which is, I love, I love romantic music, you know, and, 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 and maybe overindulgent expression. I'm, I'm a, I'm a Russian Jew, you know, I'm, I'm, so I, I listen to those old violinists, you know, uh, the Milsteins or the, even before that, and the, the guys who were so personal with, with their approach to instruments and music. And that lined up with who I was uh, in Regondi's music and how I could respond emotionally. So it, it was a strange quirk uh, to find this music right at that time. I was also, you know, I was about in my late 30s, which is sort of a peak time for any instrumentalist. You're, you've formed your technique and your musical knowledge, and, and then it's about experience and depth. How deep are you? What can you get out of these scores? And so that music found me at just the right time. You said that you retired from playing four years ago. Does that mean you don't pick up the guitar at all? Well, pretty much. I, I use the guitar to demonstrate for my students in lessons, but I do less and less of that, to be truthful. I'm... Yeah, I, I, I've been asked this question by a number of people, and I, I don't have an answer. Do you miss it? And honestly, it's it's an instrument that had been in my hands since I was seven years old. And and to play at a high level on this instrument requires just as much work as to do it on piano. Uh, and 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 I felt at a certain point a lack of drive to uh to keep practicing. Also, I my my life got overwhelmed with other stuff, the the record company my students, just life. And, and at, a, at a certain point, and it was right before COVID happened, I just said, no, I, I, it's the right time to stop doing this. Because I, I do think that, that I had brought it to the highest level that I could uh, for myself. And after that, it would have been as the body deteriorates and your time lessens as you get older with more responsibilities, what do you do? You play worse out there in public. And I did not want to play worse in public, as I had seen so many friends do. You know, it's I, I, it's just a way, you know. It's like, why don't we see 55-year-old pitchers in the major leagues? Guess why? Well, I was really more curious if you just played, like, for your own enjoyment. I mean, I understand maybe not wanting to perform in front of people, but, you know, for your own enjoyment, do you ever just sit down and play one of these etudes or something. Julie, I'm a listener. 
I love to listen. And I listen with the record company. My job is to listen to whatever comes in and decide if it's for us or not for us. I listen to my students. When I'm not listening to them, I'm on YouTube or I'm on some platform listening. Because from the time I was a kid, my dad was a an amateur pianist and my my siblings and I from the time we were the littlest kids had classical music blaring in our ears pretty much 24/7 and for me it's it's an addiction you know if i hear someone doing a song on youtube let's say well, i want to hear 25 other people do that song so it's 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 a ridiculous addiction but it's one that i will never give up voluntarily So finally, David, as you were putting together this concert bouquet of the music of Regandi, what was most memorable for you? Well, it was a look back at, at how I played. I think the earlier recordings on this are probably uh, about 20 years old. And it was very interesting to, to hear what I was able to do at that point in, in my, my playing, and then the music itself. It's music that I teach, so it, it's not, it was not unfamiliar to me when I, when I went about the process of, of recording this. But I have to say also that, that my conversations with the annotator of this record, Paul Cezarczyk, were, were wonderful because he's been a Regandi scholar and has a lot of background information that I did not know. So getting all of that in front of me has helped me as a teacher in, in terms of teaching that music to people. And it's all a part of one thing. It, I just, it was a pleasure to hear the music and, and actually feel that I had done a good bit of it, a good bit of justice. So <laughs> that's as far as I'll go with it. A 200th birthday bouquet celebrating Giulio Regandi with guitarist David Starobin. Thanks to Valerie Kaler, our producer, for new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. <laughs>